Today on Ag News Daily. There's a lot of water right below us. It's extremely salty, but it's there. I mean, it's like 15 feet deep and you, you get uh, every now and then we have to dig a hole for something and boom, water starts coming out of the ground. So anyway, so we flood irrigate. Good afternoon and welcome to a Thursday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's your Thursday looking? It's turning out okay, Ashton. It's really nice here. I'm really just itching because it's pretty much fall now and I'm starting to see some combines roll and this is my favorite time of year. So things couldn't be better in my opinion. I absolutely cannot wait for fall. We've been a little bit cooler the past few days here. I mean, not you know, immensely cooler or anything. We really don't get super cold until like November, but I love fall. So I'm right there with you. Very excited. Yes, it is fall season. We're both excited. Farmers are probably excited too, to be getting into the field, get things going. I think maybe I shared this on the podcast the other day, but while we're talking about weather, you know, this season has been the hottest summer on record, Ashton, by one one hundred of a degree, it edged out the dust bowl. And what's more interesting, I think, is that we're going to continue to see those hot, this hot weather heading into harvest season. I chatted with Eric Snodgrass the other day, and it's going to be a hot, hot uh, harvest season throughout the month of September, October. So that's positive. We should have some pretty good weather. We're going to see maybe a little bit of rain here and there, but overall, uh, shaping up to be a good harvest season, it sounds like. Well, that is exciting news to get us started for the day, Delaney. I'm going to follow that up with an update from the USDA as they are providing additional time for livestock and poultry producers to apply for the Pandemic Livestock Indemnity Program, otherwise known as PLIP. Producers who suffered losses during the pandemic due to insufficient access to processing may now apply for assistance for those losses and the cost of depopulation and disposal of animals through October 12th of this year, rather than the original deadline of September 17th. So just a little bit of an update there for our producers who are eligible and just As a reminder, those producers include swine, chickens, and turkeys. So if you haven't applied already, you can go ahead and do so now when you have until October 12th. Fantastic, Ashton. Well, I'm going to move things here down to the Dominican Republic or over to the Dominican Republic, uh, depending on where you live. But we got some fresh news today about African swine fever there in the Dominican and more so that the Dominican has been importing a lot of U.S. pork for the past week or the export sales report that came out this week, this morning, showed that about 3,500 tons of pork from the United States has been sent and exported to the Dominican Republic that is still trying to work through African swine fever issues as that's continuing to spread throughout the DR. Experts in the country believe that they might have to cull upwards of half a million hogs to keep the disease from completely leveling out the herd. So this has definitely been positive news. Of course, that's not a huge market for the United States. That's not a huge amount of shipments heading to the Dominican, but anything helps at this point in time with demand. Well, Delaney, on that same note of African swine fever, I actually have a story coming out of Germany as they are suffering from 
ASF as well. Another case was confirmed in wild boar in the Uckermark region in the eastern German state of Brandenburg. And this is the second case of African swine fever in wild boar in that region, which is north of the other areas of Brandenburg, where African swine fever has been found in larger numbers of wild boar. And a total of 1,670 cases of African swine fever in wild boar have been confirmed in Brandenburg itself since it was first discovered back last September. And another 456 cases have been found in wild boar in the state of Saxony, which is further south, but only three cases on farms, which were all small. So we're still continuing, you know, not just in the Dominican Republic, but other countries as well still suffer from African swine fever. So we still, of course, have to be diligent here in the U.S. so we don't suffer the same consequences. Well, Ashton, another big thing on a lot of traders' minds, maybe less so than farmers is next week's Fed meeting, which is going on, of course, in Washington, D.C., because it calls into question whether or not we're going to see tapering and any sort of change to interest rates or taxes. We have seen the dollar index hold at a 20-day high, so we are continuing to see some strength there. Uh, But overall, a lot of eyes will be turned to that meeting next week to see what happens there. Of course, inflation is also being chatted about. but I know that a lot of producers are also watching this to some extent, because when I have been tra- going around to some of the, my speeches, that's been a, a common question as well, Ashton. Well, another common question that we've been having here on the podcast is when Louisiana is going to get back up and running. And luckily, we're hearing from CHS, and we heard this earlier today, that they are expecting its Myrtle Grove, Louisiana grain export terminal to be operational by the height of the U.S. corn and soybean harvest after Hurricane Ida damaged that facility last month. It's hard to believe that it was in August, saying last month feels so crazy, but we are in fact already, you know, halfway through September, but the exact recovery timeline for that terminal is uncertain at the moment. The facility still remains without power from the local utility provider and repair crews are using an on-site generator. So hopefully it gets back up and running soon, but we hopefully know for certain that it's going to be back up and running at the height of harvest. But um, I I don't know if we're going to actually see that happen because things are moving a little bit slowly, which is, of course, I think to be expected when you're hit with a storm that hard, but very at least thankful that there are folks out there who have been trying to get the power back on, you know, not just here at CHS, but all across the New Orleans area. Absolutely, Ashton. And, uh, you know, this story might be a little outdated once we see kind of post-hurricane recovery, because what we could see happen from the hurricane, Ashton, could be some potential government aid that typically happens once we see big major disasters like this. We see some sort of subsidy or indemnity programs. However, as of right now, it is expected that farm income is projected to drop $23 billion in 2022 due to 
The sharp decline we're forecasting in federal government payments, such as, of course, CFAP, market facilitation payment programs, etc. So as we know, as we talked about, that has been a large portion of producers balance sheets in 2020 and into 2021. But of course, those are expected not to happen so much here in 2022, pending, of course, any sort of major disasters like Hurricane Ida. But all in all, Net farm income is expected to drop for folks, even with higher commodity prices. And this is, of course, according to the Food and Agricultural Research Policy, or excuse me, Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri. Well, Delaney, that is all of the news that I have to share today. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I think I'm good for news for today, Ashton. I think... Uh, We'll have to keep in touch with people on social media as they do head into harvest season because things are definitely going to be exciting here as we get into harvest and uh, markets are certainly going to be excited to watch what's actually coming out of the fields. But ahead of kind of those big reports, you know, we're only about 4% uh, harvested as of right now. Markets are acting a little bit uh, uncertain of what's going to come out of the field and are continuing to chop sideways. And I'll just say as a quick side note, I'm still seeing a lot of folks talk to a few folks seeing on social media that a lot of folks pending where they're located are seeing some pretty high moisture coming out of the fields right now. But as we do head into harvest here, we're seeing, of course, normal harvest pressure as the December corn contract shed three and three quarters cents today to close at 529 and three quarters, the March down four and a quarter to close at 536 and a half. Soybean saw slight strength today as the November contract added two pennies to close at 12.96 and a half. The January up a penny and three quarters to close at 13.05 and a quarter. And in the wheat pits today, I will make a quick side note. This is the first time I believe in three years that we've seen hard red winter wheat surpass soft red winter wheat in value. And with that being said, we saw the Chicago December contract today close just a half a cent higher to close at 7.12 and three quarters of the March, up a quarter of a cent to close at 7.24. And since I've got them right here, hard red winter wheat, Kansas City wheat December contract closed up four and a quarter cent to close at 7.20 and a quarter of the March, up four and a half cents to close at 7.29. And hopping over into the livestock pits for today, we saw some mixed trade across the cattle complex as the October live cattle contract shed 57 and a half cents to close at 1.23. 60, the Dece down 87 and a half cents to close at 128.57 and a half. And in the feeder cattle markets, we saw, again, here's where the mixed trading came into play. The October contract up 60 cents to close at 157.10. The spread here narrowing quickly as the November contract shed just 27 and a half cents to close the day out at 157.30. And hopping over into lean hogs, don't know if it was the Dominican Republic news or just other news in general boosting today's lean hog prices, but the October contract did close $3.20 higher to end at $85.47.5. The December up $2.20 to close at $74.45. And wrapping things up here, Ashton, with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. October today unchanged on the day to close at 17.15. November down $0.08 cents to close at 16.98. Now, Ashton, I know we've been putting together a ton of fantastic interviews. Fill us in on who we're talking to for today. Today, we are talking to Trevor Bales out of Arizona. Well, today we are talking to Trevor Bales, who is a sixth generation producer out in Arizona. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
So Trevor, let's go ahead and get started talking about what exactly you do. You know, your last name is Bales. You're working with Hay. I think that that's a little ironic. Very much so. And uh, being so narrow-minded or closed-minded or maybe it's because I wasn't on social media so much, um, I didn't realize how unique that was uh, growing up. Um, we, we, We grew cotton, which cotton goes through a cotton gin and it gets put in a bale of cotton. So uh, bales and growing cotton was also unique. Then we transferred into mostly hay, like 90% make baling hay. We still had a little bit of cotton, but I didn't realize until uh, pretty, pretty recently within 10 years or so, like, man, that is extremely unique uh, as to be a farmer with the last name bales to grow, to bale hay and have the last name bales. And we really use the uh, play on words in our business, bales, hay sales, um, to promote that. And it, it's, it's we've been very fortunate, very lucky. And we did not change our name. Uh, every now and then we'll get asked that. Uh, did you guys change your name? No, we, we did not. It's my, my great-grandpa Wallace Bales married uh, Alberta Belote. And that's who the family that homesteaded in Arizona was the Belote family, B-E-L-O-A-T. So anyways, that's a kind of a quick story of how <laughs> the bales got to be baling hay. Well, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about baling hay. Can you tell us a little bit more about your operation and maybe how things are looking like this year? Yeah, uh, our our operation, mm, I like to think is a little bit unique uh, to most farm families, most farm businesses. We have an operating farm where we are actively growing we've got about about a thousand acres that we own thousand acres that we lease and then another thousand that we custom harvest or so we are actively farming all every day we also have a retail store a lot of farmers most farmers i would say when it comes to customers that they supply and get paid from it's very few it could be within 10 people you have a big dairy that that you supply or you grow grain for a, under a contract or you have a, co- a cotton purchaser or for a produce guys, they have a, a purchaser where we have hundreds, maybe thousands of people buying our product. Um, and so that makes it a little unique. One, we do have a store where you people come in and I've got several employees that load manually load hay in the back of people's trucks. These are three string bales. They weigh about 95 pounds. So these kids, uh, 120 degree weather, they're out there loading hay and pickups and they don't complain. Okay, sometimes they complain, but I've got some good ones, good ones that don't. Hey, 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 watch, watch Thomas the train. Sorry, he's got a two-year-old on my lap. Um, and uh, we also ship hay all across the United States. So we have feed stores that we supply here in Arizona. That We also have feed stores in Texas, Oklahoma, to Kentucky, and Florida that we supply as well. Um, and so that that's what makes us a little unique. Like there are several, there are several farms that do exactly what we do. But I think if you look at agriculture as a whole, there aren't as many. So we deal with a lot, we're we're dealing with the public a lot, which I think is unique for a farm. And then to your second part of your question, I guess what, how this year is shaping out. It, it's, uh, it's, it's 
funny to look at. We in it right here in Buckeye, our annual rainfall average is about six inches, and we just had four inches in the span of two and a half months, and that really hurts our production. The rest of the country is in a terrible drought, and you. What you mentioned you earlier that I have my a YouTube channel I talk about how this rain is uh, is affecting us and it's really hurting us, costing us a lot of money. Well, I have a lot of people responding on YouTube. Hey, we're in a drought. Don't don't complain about rain. But at the end of the day, we have to make money to survive and continue on being a farm. And when we get rain that that hurts our production and lowers the quality of our product it's hard to, it's hard to make money. So, um, anyways, this year there, I foresee a massive, massive shortage one from drought two from the rain that's been, that came through Arizona and California, which are the two, uh, hubs of, of producing mass producing alfalfa. We ship it. Uh, I say we Arizona and California ships alfalfa all over the world, not just, not just, um, the country it, it it goes everywhere we make with it's our weather we're we're essentially a, a a greenhouse it's hot and dry all the time so we just keep keep going i want to kind of walk through the process of making these hay bales because you you talked about how this much amount of rain that you guys just had is kind of hurting you so can you just walk us through the process i'm not super familiar with hay or that industry and i'm not sure you know all of our listeners are as well so can you just yeah the process yeah of course of course so we've we have our fields out there which are flood irrigated we we irrigate off of uh through our water comes directly below us. We don't take water from any, any, um, from, uh, the Colorado river or anything where we have a river that runs by us called the Gila river. It doesn't flow, but there's a lot of water right below us. It's extremely salty, but it's there. I mean, it's like 15 feet deep and you, you get, uh, every now and then we have to dig a hole for something and boom, water starts coming out of the ground. So anyway, so we flood irrigate and that is one of the things that makes us so uh, efficient at making, it growing pretty much everything out here. Uh, it, we don't have to wait for the rain. Well, now, when we do get rain, we are on a pretty sk- strict schedule of cutting these fields every 25 to 28 days. Try to put down 100 to 120 acres every 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 single day. And you make that rotation and you get back and, and you start again and you start again. And by the time you get to the last field, it's time to cut the first field. When they call for rain and when there's rain in the forecast, we have to make an educated uh, guess and say, how much rain are we going to get? Do we need to stop cutting or should we keep going? So if you, if you take the first route and you, and you stop cutting, now all that hay went from 28 days to, and, and, it, and this is where it, it, it adds up. So, okay, we have rain in three days or four days. There's a chance in four days. So we have to stop cutting four days in advance advance so now you're already four days behind well then if it does rain and the, and the ground gets pretty wet add another four to five six seven eight days depending on how much rain you had pretty soon you're 10 days behind and as alfalfa gets older in the days between cutting the quality goes down uh, so we fight against that and they'll or you go the other route you say okay let's go ahead and let's cut it and you cut it and so it's laying out in the in the field and then it rains on it that also lowers the quality. Now you could get a light shower, which you could 
then go in and, and rake and bale the next day and it's up and you're fairly lucky. But if you get a lot of rain, it has to lay there for several days because you cannot get equipment in the field. And that's when you run into hay black, turning black and molding, getting mold underneath it. Um, and that creates a huge problem too. But when you have several of those storms pop up and they, they're in their sequence just far apart to where you're like, Oh man, we don't have a, we don't have a window in there to get in there and cut a whole bunch of acres, lay a bunch of stuff down that that window just never came up. It's there's a chance of rain. Oh, in another four days, there's another chance. Oh, in another six days, there's another chance. Oh, there's a, and then, and we did get, uh, quite a bit of rain. One, one, one Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, we had two inches, two days. But as I said earlier, our annual, um, average is six, six inches. And then another, that took us several, a week or so to dry out. Even, even when it's hot, you just throw that much moisture in the ground and it, um, and it's hard to, it's hard to dry out. And then a week later, two weeks later, we had another inch and another inch. So it just, it's just been, uh, adding up and it's really messed up our, our cut schedule. And the, when we do get to go in and cut the days, or have been there's so many days on that field it's low quality hay and as it gets older 35 40 days old it actually discolors the hay as well it kind of turns brown so you do get in there and you cut it and oh, great all your hay is kind of brown like a like a funky brown green brown and it, customers don't like it a horse might not notice the difference unfortunately the um the customer is the one shopping so Trevor, I just have one more question here before we kind of wrap things up. And that is concerning your YouTube channel. You yeah. get thousands upon thousands of views on these videos and they look like they're a lot of fun to make. So where did the idea come from to make this YouTube channel and be there for producers and as well as consumers? Uh, it all started, I guess, with, with Instagram, just getting on Instagram and not, I just, kind of got on one rant one, uh, one year and and I guess by, with my personality I got to be friends with several guys and I didn't realize who I was friends with were guys with fairly large YouTube channels and they just kept pushing me and pushing me like man you gotta your your personality's like you're easy to talk to you don't seem to mind like you should start a YouTube channel and uh, I don't know it seems like it takes a lot of time and I don't know I don't know I don't know so I finally bought a couple GoPros and just started putting, putting some content together. I was real, I was very, I don't know, nervous or, or as a word, but conscious about like, well, it's not going to flow properly because honestly, I don't, I don't watch anyone else's YouTubes. I don't, I don't spend much time on YouTube at all. The only time I watch YouTube is when I don't know how to do something and I need to figure it out. So I, I didn't know, realize how my buddies were doing it or my friends were, were filming it. And I kind of backed off a little bit and told them, I said, well, I don't have to, like the story. There's not like a storyline. They said, storyline doesn't matter. Just film what you're doing throughout the day, whatever. So I just started filming what we were doing throughout the day. And um, that's really, and then I also realized there weren't very many, if any um, Southwest farm YouTubers. So I thought, well, it's kind of cool too. I, I do get to show what we're doing as well. But I would really say my friends, uh, Millennial Farmer, um, uh, Zach Johnson, he, he, he really pushed me. Uh, a friend, uh, uh, 
uh, Cole, the corn star, he, he, he pushed me to do it as well. So, um, and I wouldn't be able to do it without my wife. Oh my gosh. I, I still don't know how to edit a video. She, she did all the, the first year of editing for me. And then the second, our second, uh, uh, little baby came along and I, my neighbor actually up here, he does video editing for his church. So I said, thought, Hey, could I hire you to edit for me? So he started editing. And so I still like without, without my wife and my neighbor, I wouldn't be able to, um, have video going. <laughs> I just film stuff. Well, Trevor, where can our audience find you online? They want to look at some of these videos themselves. Uh, on YouTube, it's Bales Hay Farm and Ranch. A lot of people say, you're, kind of point out, well, you're not ranching. But my family started out ranchers when they homesteaded here in 1891. They were ranchers before farmers. And now we've crossed back over to uh, the farming to where we pretty much only farm. Um, and so Bales Hay Farm and Ranch. That's our YouTube. Well, awesome, Trevor. Thank you once again for coming on and joining us this morning. It's definitely been a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks again there to you, Trevor, for coming on and joining us. And congratulations because him and his wife just had a three-week-old baby. And they also have a two-year-old, as you can tell from our interview. So he's certainly got his hands full on top of being a, a social media star. <laughs> Yeah, I'm super disappointed I had to miss this one, Ashton, because it it sounded like a great interview. And it's really cool what he's doing. Um, you know, we were kind of messaging with him before and he's like, well, I just do hay. And I'm like, I don't think you're just doing anything. You know, you've got a lot of irons in the fire, too. He's got a new family starting. So really cool interview. Certainly it was Delaney and hopefully all of our future interviews are just as cool because I always love talking to folks across the country, always having some great conversations here. So folks can definitely tune into those conversations at agnewsdaily.com or they can be a part of the conversations by joining us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Agnews Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.